0: Hi, everyone. This is Jay Conforti, and I'm listening to The Payroll Podcast.
1: Welcome to The Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, specialist payroll recruiters.
2: Hello and welcome to the Payroll Podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Jay Conforti, Director of HR Transformation at KPMG in KPMG's Chicago office. So, another podcast from across the water. He boasts over 15 years' experience in HR and payroll, and currently he is helping organizations transform global HR and payroll operations through target operating model strategy, operations efficiency, organizational design, technology, and outsourcing and has successfully led three of the largest global HR and payroll shared services transformations performed over the past five years. Prior to joining KPMG, Jay was a senior manager supporting global HR and payroll service delivery, operational teams both onshore and offshore for a financial services company, along with having prior experience in the HR outsourcing business area at a global consulting organization. Now, Jay is a seasoned HR practitioner, He is experienced in consulting with clients on current trends, strategic insights, service offerings, and more, as provided by various external HR and payroll outsourced vendors, along with assisting with process excellence, optimization, analytics, and quality opportunities within their various HR functions. So a huge wealth of expertise that I plan to delve into today on the Payroll Podcast. Without further ado, I'd like to go straight to it. I would like to welcome Jay to the Payroll Podcast. Hey, Jay, how are you doing?
0: Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for letting me join today. Excited to be here.
2: Five quick questions. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an insight into your career journey today? to, I guess, just give them some indication of how you traveled through your journey to becoming Director of HR Transformation at KPMG?
0: Sure. Absolutely. So um, interestingly enough, you know, it's, I get this question asked asked, uh, a lot. And I think my answer always has been um, not exactly sure how I got here. Um, (laughs) You know, it's not one of those things I think I planned to do. Um, But, you know, as I look back over kind of my career, um, I started off very early on um, doing my undergraduate studies, both in finance and international business. And and where, and where that landed initially um, was working for um, an organization. I was an internal auditor um, that was auditing employee expense reports um, and making sure that they were taxed correctly uh, from a U.S. perspective. And I think early on in, in my career, I was like, man, I just don't know if this is something that I, I can see myself uh, doing long term. And so as, as time went on, you know, I, I kind of took a leap of faith and um, I was actually working in a, a payroll operations area as a payroll processor. Um, and I remember thinking at that time and, and telling my manager, man, I just don't think I'm going to be, you know, a, a payroll person the rest of my life. And she kind of laughed and she's like, well, you know, I, I want to have this conversation with you you know, let's say 10 years down the road. And I said, okay. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, I, I started to really learn more about, you know, not only how payroll um, was done domestically, um, but then also starting globally. Um, and as time went on in that organization, I um, started to learn kind of the upstream and downstream impacts of other areas, you know, that play such a critical role in getting to the point of processing payroll. So really, you know, looking at the HR function. And as a result of that, um, you know, I had gotten to a point in my career where, you know, I felt it would really be beneficial to actually um, work in an HR and or payroll um, group in industry. And so I, I left consulting initially. Um, and I ended up working in an HR and payroll operations area for a large um, financial services organization, um, which really gave me the opportunity to really learn more uh, broadly about not only payroll, but really how HR functions from an end-to-end perspective.
2: Obviously, since you started in payroll, it's a career that you, you fell into, as, as many people do. How have you seen the role of the payroll of HR professional change since you first started in payroll?
0: Yeah. And that's a great question, Nick. So I feel like, you know, I, I'm seeing this and I'm hearing this more and more with clients is that really the role of the peril professional, it's really continuing to evolve over time. And it's the type of role that's moving away from kind of the old mindset that it's just kind of a data entry Uh, You know, where you're really focusing on just processing various transactions, but really now becoming more of a strategic partner, you know, working with various parts of an organization's, you know, business areas, you know, example, like finance, HR, IT. But I also think, you know, the role of the paraprofessional is really requiring, you know, a different type of skill set, you know, just outside of, you know, being able to process transactions. You know, it's giving that individual an opportunity to really um, hone in on, you know, technology experience, um, you know, being more global in nature, Um Having that individual have, you know, an opportunity to be more, you know, analytical, uh, you know, being able to really drive and produce, you know, data and analytics, but also, you know, having um, an opportunity to you know, work with external, you know, payroll providers as well.
2: Sure. And that's certainly something that we're seeing uh, this end as well, certainly over in the UK. And I think a lot of it's to do with all of the emerging trends, the, uh, you know, we're going to things like robotic process automation, which, Give, freeze up the time for a lot of health professionals to spend on then strategic tasks as a result so but from your perspective what are the kind of emerging trends in global payroll and HR that are demanding your attention right now?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I'll start with HR first, um, because, you know, HR right now, there's such a, I want to call it like a disruption, you know, in a lot of organizations. And so there's really kind of, I call it like my top seven that come to mind. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, HR, there's purpose and culture within HR that's really changing, you know, around, you know, what is, you know, the, the purpose of where our organization is going from an HR perspective, what's the type of culture we want to drive internally as, you know, organizations, uh, you know, are becoming more global in nature. Um, workforce shaping is really important. So, you know, there is a, a drive and a need to um, attract and retain top talent um, within HR organizations. So how do we, you know, go about doing that? you know, as we think about who we have today, but really, you know, thinking ahead in the future with a focus on succession planning is really on the minds of a lot of HR professionals. Um, Workforce insights and analytics, um, again, is being, you know, really big as we drive to tell the story um, across all functions in HR, like what does that really look like, but really being able to actually get that data you know within your you know your HCM system is really important um you know if I, if i shift gears you know enabling technology i would say right now is is probably the hottest trend in HR you know so organizations are you know moving off of the old kind of on-premise technology solutions and they're you know looking to move to the cloud but as part of that there's so many cloud solutions that are out there so you know organizations are now you know going through the exercise to think about well you know what is the right fit for me you know is that a work day per se or is it an oracle or maybe it's you know sap success factors um, so you know technology is big um HR organization of the future is uh, an interesting one. So, you know, the roles of the HR professionals are changing and there's roles um, that are starting to formulate in HR organizations that, you know, folks haven't seen before. And it's interesting. And I'll I'll go through just a couple of these just to kind of give you a flavor. You know, one of these is around. Things that are being focused around, you know, workforce experienced consultants that are sitting in HR. And these are individuals that are thinking about, you know, they're experts that are designing the thinking to, you know, ensuring a great experience for HR and for employees. Um, Another interesting one is robotics capability managers. So as organizations are thinking about, you know, IA. And how that could potentially work in an HR organization, um, there are roles that are tailoring around that.
2: We're seeing a lot of that on the on the payroll side as well. I think it's the you know with the influx of data and robotics and the you know, titles changing with more sort of payroll uh, and analysts needed and, and similar. So we're seeing it seems like it's it's hitting both industries equally.
0: It is, it is, you know, and, and again, that's just a couple examples. And I think just the other, you know, the, the big thing that comes up a lot, you know, within HR and, and unfortunately sometimes tends to be overlooked, but it's something that I think is really important and crucial is, you know, the change management and the leadership, right? Because with all of the changes and the disruptors that are happening both externally and internally, you know, how do you prepare for that? you know, so meaning like, what are the impacts that are happening to HR professionals and employees? You know, what are, um, you know, the communication types of things that need to happen internally? And then, you know, from a training perspective, right? I mean, you know, do we have to go back and, you know, start to retrain our HR professionals and different things? So, so those are some of the big ones on the HR side. Um, so from a global payroll perspective, you know, I would say, what are my top, three emerging trends. Um, one, I would say is building kind of that global payroll function of the future. And and how do you do that? Um, you know, first and foremost, and I think it's really important is, is making sure that you've got a strategy in place. And folks sometimes tend to think, well, strategy, I mean, that's like, You know, that's so broad. Like, what does that mean? You know, to me, you know, that's really making sure that you have kind of the right service delivery model in place. So thinking about, you know, what are those things that, you know, you you truly want to continue to do internally from a processing perspective? But what are those things that, you know, make sense that maybe uh, an outsourced provider could do? Um, you know, it's very, very important. Compliance is probably my my number two because, again, as you know, you know Nick, and for I'm sure our listeners, you know, payroll is one of the highest uh, risk areas in any organization. You know, whether it sits in HR, whether it sits in finance, so making sure that you're compliant, um, and especially even now you know, with us kind of getting ready to hit that one-year mark around GDPR, I mean, it's just crucial, you know, that organizations continue, you know, to, to look at that from a from a perspective. Um, you know, and probably the other third emerging uh, trend, and I think I mentioned this on the HR side, is is around cloud technology, you know, for payroll. Like, what does that mean in the future. So, you know, moving to not only kind of a potential cloud-based technology, but what are some of the other features, you know, that uh employees, uh, you know, and individuals want to see now? You know, one of those is mobile capability, right? You know, being able to, you know, look at my paycheck on my phone, you know, or if I need to, you know, transfer funds around. Right. Now I can do it with a, you know, one click and, you know, I go on with my day. So, could probably go on and on, but you know those are kind of the three big things you know that you know are on everyone's minds.
2: Well, I love the fact you brought up the mobile side. I remember not that long ago when my mobile phone would only hold twelve messages, and I had to delete one to allow another one to come in. And we've advanced mm-hmm. so fast, and you know with technology advancing as quickly as it is, and you mentioned globalization. There, you know, the globalization of businesses is becoming more possible every day. With that in mind, what kind of um, have you seen strategies change in relation to sort of technology advancing at the speed that it is, or have attitudes towards global payroll nature operations changed as a
0: result? So I think where the changes is- is happening more and more nick is that from a technology perspective organizations a lot of times as i mentioned earlier they're on this journey to kind of pick that cloud-based technology and then once it's chosen they're 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 slamming that technology in um, and they think that that's going to solve the issues you know that they've seen in the past and what happens um wh- you know when that, occurs is we find that organizations haven't, as part of that technology deployment, started to look at the strategy around that technology. So making sure that the service delivery model fits with the technology, making sure that processes are truly designed end-to-end, Right. With that global mindset, but also, you know, taking into account any of those local regulatory requirements. Um, so and I hate to say this, but what happens is that when that exercise doesn't occur, organizations have to go back and almost retransform themselves once that technology is done. So to your question, we're seeing organizations really look at that picture holistically now, so not only is they're te- they're looking at technology, they're looking at the service delivery model, they're looking at, you know, people. So they're really doing this more hand in hand so that at the end of the day, you know, everything can work in tandem and, you know, they have an effective you know, whether it is in HR operations or whether it's a you know a global payroll that, you know, operations that really everything works hand in hand with each other.
2: And obviously, it's your responsibility as, as your role of director of HR transformation at KPMG, I guess, to advise and, and, and help clients on their journey towards achieving that more holistic outcome if, is the way that you put it. And I know that you've obviously led, and I mentioned in my introduction three of the largest global HR payroll shared service transformations performed over the past five years. And you're develop your teams are helping develop future state HR and payroll strategies for for multiple clients. And I know that you know that's included things like target target operating models, organizational design, um, and, and many other things as well. What is what has been your most memorable project? And maybe it's something you're working on now or maybe it's something that started from one, you know, one place and you really managed to transform it. But is there one that particularly sticks in your mind?
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I think every every project I've been on, you know, has a different, you know, memory that comes to mind. But so the the one, I would say, engagement that comes to my mind. So this, this is a project that we did um, about five or six years ago. We, we took one of the largest uh, global pharmaceutical companies in the world that had a model um, where everything was outsourced both um, from a payroll and HR perspective. And that organization made a decision um, as a result of some compliance issues that ended up morphing even more. Um, they made the decision to bring it all back in-house. Um, big project, and, and it was a large endeavor. And, and the way that we helped this organization transform is we had to work with their provider at the time, um, really to gain all of these, you know, documents initially, right? Because to understand kind of that current state, um, we then helped the client, uh, Focus on rebuilding each of those HR functions and and payroll into that new captive model. So meaning that there would be folks internally that would run all of these processes in um, a global shared services type of organization. We, we helped them redesign all of those processes. So, meaning that we spent time putting, doing Visio flows, um, writing standard operating procedures, um, for all of these processes. Um, we helped them, we worked in tandem, uh, with another provider who was the SI to build, um, uh, an SAP. Cloud based uh, uh, cloud based solution for HR and payroll. And then as part of that, you know, we helped uh, design what that organization was going to look like for HR and payroll globally. Um, We helped almost retrain individuals. Um, And, you know, part of uh, the one memory that comes to mind is, as we also helped them kind of set up that um, contact center, the day that we physically went live. And we flipped the switch where the technology turned on, the contact center turned on. We started taking calls live. I remember walking in that contact center, like, you know, running around with flags, you know, phone calls are coming in. Um, That to me was probably one of the most memorable things that I think about because myself and there was probably at the time about 50 KPMG people there. And, and seeing, you know, being part of that from the onset where this organization really um, didn't have this captive solution. So helping them design it, build it, implement it, and then to see it go live. Must have been amazing. It was probably, just, it was just, yeah, I mean, I, it just kind of goes without words. So it's, it's, it's really a truly great story to tell
2: especially when you physically witness the blood, sweat, and tears that's gone into yes. making all that happen. I mean, that's fantastic. I know that some of the uh, feed- feedback we get from consultants that we place on the recruitment side is, you know, sometimes they want a permanent position because they often are just consulting right. and they, they solve problems but never see the solution actually happen or the solution go through because that's the end of their project. So the fact you had an opportunity to witness it, I think, was uh, must have been quite incredible.
0: Yeah. And Nick, and you're right in that regard. Cause I think a lot of times too, you know, I think myself included and other consultants will tell you is that, you know, a lot of times if we're there at the onset to kind of do that strategy, but then, you know, sometimes the organization may go with another, you know, provider or they may, you know, not move forward, you know, with the strategy that you propose, um, you know, it, a lot of times you kind of get to that point and you don't move forward. But, you know, when you have an opportunity to be there from the onset and to really see and be part of a full blown transformation from start to finish is truly a unique and rewarding experience for anyone.
2: I read in my research, this podcast, that actually there was a particularly may have been the same project. I I'm in fact, it might well be because. Well, I read that you previously reviewed and analyzed over 15,000 global HR, payroll, technical and process documents that were created during one of your clients' transitions to SAP from their previous outsource provider. Was that the same project? Or was that a different project?
0: It is, yes. Same one. Mm-hmm.
2: So, just, slightly different question then. With, with something of that size and that, that stature, what's your roadmap process for scaling and preparing for such a project? Like, Where, where do you start?
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you, it it takes time, you know, and a lot of that work initially you, you start to, um, design and you, um, articulate as part of the strategy because before you can go into your design and build, you have to have a clear understanding of kind of what the current state is, um, where the organization wants to go in the future. Um, And one of the other interesting things I always tell clients too is, you know, you have to kind of set some guardrails or almost guiding principles that you're going to follow throughout the transformation. And once you kind of get through that strategy, you start to build out, you know, from a roadmap perspective, okay, so what are the things that I know I'm going to need to design initially, right? And that could be processes. It could be designing new roles and responsibilities, right, that the organization might not have. Um, You know, designing a governance framework, and that can be around making sure you've got the right operational controls, segregation of duties. Um, so you kind of, you kind of time box out, you know, based off of how big the organization is when they want to go live per se. And then that's kind of the trickle down effect. Cause then you get into your build phase and that's where folks are kind of heads down. You know, you're really, you're building out your standard operating procedures, you're building out training materials Um You know, it's all getting you prepared and ready for that, you know, that go live date. So there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And I think the biggest thing as well is you have to have that executive buy in and sponsorship um, throughout the entire transformation. Because if you don't, um, you know that's where challenges occur, um, primarily around being able to kind of meet that go live date, but also the key and critical decisions that happen along the way.
2: Sure. I mean, it's a huge amount of responsibility on your shoulders. I guess that's uh, that's what comes with getting to the top of, uh, of HR transformation. But I, I imagine, well, I wouldn't even want to try and imagine the kind of budgets involved for a project of that size. But you know, when you are faced with those kind of projects, what are the what are the biggest challenges then? If you've talked about there, sort of the different things you need to roadmap um, in order to prepare for such a project, but you know, but there's obviously you you touched upon some elements there in terms of designing, building, and implementing um, sort of new global shared services solutions for global clients. When you do that, what are the typically the biggest challenges you're faced with?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Nick. So one of them I feel like I hear a lot is being able to change the mindset of how things have always been right Um, because as you go into discussions and you're you know as an example you're designing processes you know clients always say well this is the way we've always done it well we can't change it and and that's okay you know we're prepared for that but you know let's talk about you know why you know why can't you know, you, again, as an example, move away from a manual process and leverage automation more, you know, and, and maybe there's just a reason you just can't do it. Right. But let's, let's talk through that. Um, so I would say that the mindset to change is is a big challenge. I think a lot of organizations, I think sometimes struggle with, um, the, the other, I think is making sure, um, you know, as, as these projects are global, that you're taking into account cultural differences. You know, so a lot of times, you know, when we're working with clients, they they want to just kind of design and build things really just from that U.S. perspective. But when it is a global project and you've got other countries involved, you know, you have to take additional time to do some of those, you know, localizations, right, and making sure that we're caring for you know, certain nuances that are country specific. Um, and, and that's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to, for folks in those countries that maybe haven't done this type of work for before, before working closely with them, um, language barrier, um, can be difficult. You know, the, the time change, right. You know, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're working more on, if I think about like if you're working with like Asia Pacific clients, well, you know, for us in the U.S., you know, that's those are late nights. Right. And so being able to, you know, adjust and adapt uh, to that, you know, can can be a challenge. But I think really then the other biggest one is that, you know, you go live with these projects and a lot of times from a consultant perspective, you know, clients tend to think, well, you know, the consultants are done and, you know, they're, they're gone. And, you know, we have to figure this out now, right. Cause we don't have those resources, you know, that can help us. And so, you know, I find with us and I know my colleagues will, will stay the same as that we, we don't go in with that mindset. You know, we work with clients, you know, as long as they need us and want us to be there. You know, I think that's, uh, ensures that not only a successful transformation occurs, but it also ensures that, you know, can organizations that come out of these transformations are going to continue to stabilize over time. It's not something that happens overnight. And they need to know that they're going to have that continued support, you know, until they feel comfortable that they can kind of stand on their own.
2: Sure. And I think uh, in the first part of your, your answer there, you mentioned, you know, change management pieces you know changing people's mindsets one of the most complex things i guess that's ties back to where that executive buy-in is so important if you've got the buy-in at executive level it makes it easier for you to deliver that change And, and on point two you talked about the country specific nuances is there a particular country that causes you more or regions that cause you more challenges than others or
0: uh you know that that's a good question you know um I would say, is there a country that causes more? I w- in the past, if you would have asked me this a couple of years ago, I probably would have said Asia Pac. Um, now, you know, with so many changes, um, specifically in EMEA, you know, as it pertains to GDPR, um, that's a challenge. Um, I also think, uh, from a works council perspective, um, you know, they play such a crucial and, and pivotal part in certain countries in EMEA that tends to be challenging as well um so that's yeah I mean I would say right now I would say it it leans for me personally a little bit more in EMEA um but you know I think you face you know those challenges even domestically right I mean there are some organizations based off of you know their their business um you know, where there are those nuances you have to account for. But um, yeah, from a global perspective, I would say kind of uh, a Mia would be my first. Well,
2: that probably ties in. with a podcast recently where um, it was mentioned about that there's a, a payroll complexity, a global payroll complexity survey undertaken. And I think uh, there are some payrolls within EMEA that, that certainly ranked right towards the top of that survey. I think there are maybe in Italy and France quite high scoring as being quite difficult payrolls to be able to. To, to manage from a change perspective. But um it's funny how how, how things change. Well look, we're gonna find out a little bit more about you, Jay, if we can. Um, And then we're going to jump back into some more questions about some of the challenges that you think are facing payroll and HR teams right now. So just a quick break to say, if you haven't heard the latest song yet, My Payroll Career, it's all about payroll. Here's a quick snippet available now on iTunes or Amazon Play. Enjoy. You see, I love payroll and payroll loves me. I don't mind liaising with HMRC. I love manual payments and calculating s and Yeah, payroll is the career for me. And that was My Payroll Career, available now in iTunes and Amazon Play. Right, back to the podcast.
1: Time to find out more about you.
2: I wondered if you could tell us how your friends or your work colleagues would describe you.
0: <laughs> oh, boy, that's a that's a tough question. Um, so how would my friends describe me? Um, you know... My friend, I feel like if I think about kind of my my life, you know, a lot of my friends uh, are near and dear to my heart. You know, I I have a range of folks that, um, you know, uh, that I'm still very close with that. You know, I think back to grade school, um, you know, friends that I uh, still have from high school, from college. um, They would probably describe me as an individual that kind of wears my heart on my sleeve. Um, You know, I I think I I take, um, you know, all of the times that we've had, you know, good times, bad times, you know, uh, you know, I I cherish those. And those are memories that I will always have. Um, And I also think, you know, with all of our lives being as busy as they are, um, mine included, that, you know, it's sometimes taking that step back and just being able to make time for each other, whether it's just... Getting together, having a cup of coffee, um, you know, getting together at someone's house, you know, letting all of our kids play together—it's—it's it's just you know being able to take a step back and you know out of our busy lives and, and making time for each other, which is important.
2: Love that, and uh, wholeheartedly agree. It's, uh, it's challenging sometimes to be able to do it, but when you do, it's uh, it's great to reap the rewards. So, can you tell us something about you that perhaps other people wouldn't know about you?
0: Oh boy. Some fun facts about me. Um, so, um, uh, unfortunately, and I, I will say it, I am uh, a TV reality junkie. Okay. Okay. Uh, my wife and I both, uh, you know, when I'm not traveling, you know, we, uh, we watch a lot of, uh, reality TV. Um, you know, I would also say, you know, definitely a big Chicago sports fan, you know, big fan of uh, the Chicago Cubs, um, the Chicago, you know, the Bears. Um, I will say uh, a fun fact about me um, and my wife would probably kill me because she hates when I say the story, but it's an interesting one. Uh, so I actually uh, applied to be uh, on the Bachelorette okay okay which is a big uh u.s uh show i
2: I know it very well i I shouldn't probably admit this either but i think my wife has seen every single series
0: yep she is
2: addicted absolutely addicted my wife
0: so uh i was uh i i applied and uh was a contestant back several seasons ago Oh, uh, so you didn't just apply, you got on to the show. I, I got on, and then so there was three of us from Chicago uh that got chosen. Oh, wow. And uh I was cut at the last minute because they chose two other individuals, and the reason that was is I was actually in consulting. And uh due to the sensitivity, my my uh employer at the time had said, you know, you can go forward with this, but you know, please know that you could potentially risk not having a role here. So, um, so I made it, I made it very far. Um, and it was funny cause I remember when the, the first episode aired and the two gentlemen that I was with in Chicago were part of the first rose ceremony. Um, one of them, um, collapsed and I remember watching it. And, uh, anyway, so long story short, that's kind of my one kind of tv claim
2: to fame oh i love that and I'm, as soon as this podcast finished i'm going to rush inside and tell my wife she'll be she'll love it she hasn't I don't think she's ever missed an episode of any series it's the one reality thing that she's totally hooked to so yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah there's the bachelor and the bachelorette and there's two of them and um yeah i know it, i know it well uh, look, yes. i know it's about you but i'll mention it because it's relevant my cousin was actually i don't know if you're familiar with the island with bear grills
0: Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Cousin,
2: my cousin was on the last series. He was the, the a guy called Elliot. He was the chef uh, in the UK series, uh, the last last series that aired. So, oh, yeah. Um, not me personally, but my cousin was on there. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's wow. Me. Oh, that's <laughs> wow. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's cool. So while we're on the weird and wonderful, uh, I've got a nice question for you. You're abducted by aliens who want to learn more about our species. What item would you take with you?
0: Uh, you know, I honestly would probably, the one item I would take, so my myself, my wife, and two boys, we, we do um, a family picture in the fall every year. And I would probably take one of those. I would take a, a family portrait with me.
2: What game or instrument would you teach them?
0: That's, so that's interesting. So the instrument or game I would probably is. I'm going to kind of go back. You know, several years. I'll probably date myself, but in my office here, I, I actually have a, a calculator that I used to use uh, when I was calculating, uh, as I mentioned earlier, employee expense reports, and I had to total up things. So I would probably show them how to use my little Texas Instrument calculator. Love
2: that. Love that. That's a sign of a true payroll professional, right there. That he <laughs> who used to use a calculator and mental arithmetic and everything else to calculate yep. manual pay. Love it. What would you tell them about humans?
0: You know, I would probably say that humans are, there's such a mix of individuals around the world, you know, from a culture perspective. And, you know, there's just so much diversity, um, you know, in all of us.
2: And what, truth or human trait would you hold back?
0: What would I hold back? You know, probably that sometimes I feel like uh, we can be a little too judgmental um, and not sometimes always understanding the full picture or facts about something. So that, yeah, that's what I would probably hold back.
2: Right. I love that answer. Actually, in recruitment, that's something that we've got to train our staff to be you know, very much on the ball for because you, you can make very quick judgments when looking at CVs, and actually, there's a personality behind the paperwork, and it's important that we try to understand that because you know, a CV or a resume only tells half the story. Yeah, exactly. The individual paints the rest of the picture. So, I love that response. Fantastic. Well, let's dive back in. I know that the listeners are going to be really keen to hear about uh, how you see the future of the payroll HR industry. So, if we start with that question, what do you believe are the are the biggest challenges? facing payroll and HR teams right now? Uh,
0: So, you know, there's a couple of those, Nick. So one is that I feel like, you know, we talked a little bit about compliance before. Um, I think um, as, you know, global payroll organizations are, Trying to figure out, as I mentioned earlier, really around kind of what is that true global payroll strategy that's going to make sense for the organization. Um, It's hard, right? And, And part of that strategy is, you know, we talked a little bit before, you know, determining, you know, where should the work sit in the future? So, you know, what are the types of, you know, global payroll activities? You know, should an organization you know, potentially retain, you know, what are some of those things that, you know, maybe an outsourced provider should do? Um, In that same vein, you know, what is the right global payroll solution? You know, I think the question that I hear a lot is, you know, is there really one true global payroll solution? Is there one truly global provider that can do it all? Um, You know, so being able to uh, be familiar with who are the players in the market, whether they're, you know, the big, um, niche players. And then you have, you know, some of the, the, you know, the smaller vendors, um, that are, you know, slowly rising, you know, it's really kind of who, who are those vendors that are going to be a, a cultural fit for the organization, um. I think the other challenge is that organizations that do leveraged outsource models and that have been um, in those models for a long time and maybe have been in contracts for a long time, taking the opportunity to kind of step back and really looking at those contracts to make sure that, you know, the, the services are really being adhered to by the provider, um, you know, are you know organizations kind of really getting the biggest bang for their buck because you know they're paying you know large you know expenditures right when you outsource so looking at that um, making sure that you know providers are really meeting and adhering to you know the service level agreements
2: do you think suppliers sometimes get complacent if they've had a long-term contract Yeah, um, you know from a executive board level, if, if the payroll's working and people are getting paid on time, they may not think to to really analyze the SLA too deeply. I think everyone's yeah. being paid. There's no
0: issue there. Yeah, do you that, think people get complaints? Yeah, Nick, I think that's a great question. and I, And I do think it happens. And I think it's on no fault of an organization. But I think what happens is that when you get into that type of model, and you've been in it for a while, you know, I think the mindset is, well, you know, the provider is doing all this for us. Like we don't really need to worry about it, you know? And I think, you know, when you're in that mindset and then let's say something happens, right? So maybe it's a late payment or maybe it's a payroll that's missed. That kind of like it triggers, uh, you know, something in the organization to think about, okay, wow. So we haven't really looked or thought about this. Maybe we need to take a step back and, and really kind of see if this, you know, it is really effectively working. Um, so it's, I feel like it's, as I mentioned, like it's things that kind of go, you know, I don't want to say stagnant, but things just kind of, you know, are business as usual for a long time. And it's that one event that happens that triggers, you know, an organization to really kind of rethink about that. So
2: I think we have it here in, in recruitment. I mean, we were, I've worked with some clients for nearly 20 years, but sometimes You've worked with people for so long, you just kind of assume that if they've got a vacancy or requirement, that they'll pick up the phone to me. And actually, you know, I I can sometimes get complacent. As a result, I think, hey, we've known each other for twenty years. Of course, they'll cool. call. But actually, there, there's more to it than that. I'm not releasing content through podcasts or relevant articles and and keeping in their mind's eye and showing that we're staying up to date. Then there's every chance they'll go somewhere else. So, um, you know, I think it's a challenge we face in recruitment. And I think it's as, as you might albeit maybe smaller scale. I can totally understand why. Through no fault of their own, as a supplier, you can get complacent if you've been with a you know a business for a long time and it's working. Um, but they may well have new technologies or new innovations or new things they could they could actually deliver to improve that service that maybe they haven't offered yet. Yep. On the payroll podcast here, it, something we're often championing is, and you've mentioned it already in, in in the first part of the podcast is championing payroll as a strategic function. There in the UK, there's a lot of payroll professionals that believe that payroll shouldn't sit under finance or HR. It, now it's it, it's It's got to the point now where it can stand alone as its own own function, um, not reliant on either either or the other. Uh, And we personally believe on the podcast, it's probably only going to become more strategic as a profession with the implementation of new robotic process automation processes, because it should free up time for professionals that hopefully they can spend on a more strategic related task. I think that's something you mentioned earlier with some of the HR titles you're seeing with robotic leaders and robotic managers coming into play. But with this in mind, how do you see the role of the strategic payroll professional changing in relation to those sister functions such as HR and finance?
0: Yeah, it's that, a good question, Nick. And I, and I think you know where organizations are starting. And you mentioned this as well around you know can payroll be a standalone area? Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I haven't seen a lot of organizations move to that type of concept yet, not to say that it couldn't happen. Um, I, I do see, though, as organizations are looking at the global payroll function, you know, where should it reside in the future? Um, you know, I would say if you asked me this question a couple years ago, kind of where the split is, um, it was leaning more where it was sitting in the finance arena. I think now uh, that I think that mindset is starting to shift a bit um, because there are so many dependencies. Right. As I mentioned earlier, of of uh, salary components and other variables, you know, they get to the point to get to payroll and a lot of that resides in HR. Um, so, you know, I think organizations are starting to think about more kind of does that, you know, first and foremost, does that function, could that sit in HR? It you know, it absolutely could. It could sit in finance as well. Um, but if it moves into the HR arena, you know, the role of the payroll professional again, it aligns a lot with even HR professionals, and meaning that for you know, we're trying to make more roles very strategic in nature um, and not to say that there won't always be a transactional component um, in that payroll type of role and if, even in HR. But it's, it's making that role, I would say, more strategic, partnering with the business, um, giving folks the opportunity um, to grow in their profession. Um, being able to give them more of that global type of opportunity and meaning and specifically, I've seen this so much in the U S where these roles were always tailored to be so domestic, um, focused, you know, with folk, uh, with organizations becoming more global, you know, the payroll professional is not just supporting, you know, a, a us based population, you know, they could be supporting, uh, Latin America you know, as well. They they could be supporting um Canada, um, some organizations, you know, they may be supporting some countries in EMEA. So, you know, that role, you know, again, you know, being able to give folks that global opportunity also means there's a mindset, some retraining opportunities, because these individuals, you know, may not be necessarily as familiar with specific kind of payroll regulation and, and laws. Um in countries, so it's you know that role is changing in that front, and also from an automation perspective. And I think um, from a from payroll, I think there's still a lot to be determined there. But as organizations are looking to automate more and, and to use uh, you know bots per se, that's going to change the role of of the payroll professional as well.
2: Just how much it's changed in just two years. You said two years ago to look different. It's amazing how how much has progressed in such a short timeframe.
0: Yeah. And so part of that is just, you know, it's, it's make, it's having, you know, providing more educational opportunities. I I think, you know, the area of automation, I think it scares people um, because I think there's the mindset Well, is a bot going to take away my job And I, and that, and that is, you know, not necessarily the case it's, you know, bots are there. Uh, you know, I've seen, I have seen them used a little bit in, um, payroll for certain things, not everything. Um, so, you know, that's, that's going to change the role of the payroll professional as well. Um, and I also just think, you know, you know, to end on this topic is making sure that role can be multifunctional as well. So maybe that role is, you know, if there's, some bandwidth, you know, maybe they are kind of helping, you know, with some other, you know, HR processes, or maybe it is helping out with, you know, some finance processes. So making that role even multifunctional, um, I think we'll see that change in the future.
2: Right. Totally agree. And actually that that um, touches upon some of the concepts mentioned in the last podcast I recorded with uh, with Amber from uh, the War Strategy Magazine. She sees, you know, the role of the power professional becoming a lot more hybrid in the future but we're going to go to a quick advert break but stay with us i'm really excited the next lot of questions are going to be uh, with jay is going to give us some key advice on uh, various things in terms of how you can develop your payroll how you can pick vendors and so on so going to go to a quick advert and we'll jump straight back
1: Einstein famously said that Insanity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We believe it's time to try a new approach to recruitment. JGA Recruitment specialise in recruiting the top 15% of payroll and HR talent using innovative 24-7 attraction strategies that are proven to improve quality of hire, candidate retention and return on investment. De-risk your recruitment process today and hire better talent faster with JGA Recruitment. Visit jgarecruitment.com to find out find out more. Five technical questions.
2: First question is what advice would you give a company planning to move from a domestic to a global payroll and what are the key things you would suggest they need to consider before embarking on such a project?
0: Yeah that's a great question so you know the first thing that I think about you know when I worked in HR and payroll years ago, and I, and I tell this to clients a lot, is I feel like the first thing is to think about and gaining a clear understanding of what is kind of the current state of the state. And that's really looking at, um, you know, spending some time having conversations um, you know, with those key payroll folks outside of the U.S. to understand, you know, operationally, how are things done today, right? So it's understanding, you know, how processes are done, you know, understanding are there any kind of current challenges that, you know, um, you know, that they're facing, limitations, um, you know, that, that's the first part. So really kind of getting a, a good sense of the state of the state. Uh, the second thing I always uh, I think about and we've touched, you know, uh, uh, on this topic is, you know, again, is, is understanding, uh, you know, what do you want that future state target operating model to look like? Right. Um, and we've talked a lot about that, you know, thus far around kind of where does the work sit? Who's going to do the work? Um, but one of the other components around that strategy is, you know, what does that? potential financial and opportunity case look like. And what that means is going through an exercise to kind of um, understand, you know, what are the total operating costs today? So for doing payroll in all of these countries, um, what is the costs involved from a labor arbitrage perspective? Um, If we are potentially, you know, leveraging the same vendor or maybe we're going to go out, you know, for an RFP, understanding what are the costs that are going to be involved um, for those vendors. So to potentially do an implementation. Um, Technology-wise, if there's a technology component, you know, are there going to be costs associated with that? Are there going to be licensing fees? And so, holistically, you know, coming out of that exercise is you've got kind of what is that total cost of ownership going to look like if I move to a global payroll? And and is you know is it going to be cost advantageous? Um, yeah, and it might not be. Um, or, or is there, is there a potential savings, you know, uh, you know, as a light at the end of the tunnel and, and how many years per se, is it going to take the organization to get there? Um, so that is, that's very, very important. And I know it's, it's a hard exercise to go through, you know, whether you, you know, an organization does that internally or they leverage a third party to help them. Um, that story needs to be told because, uh, I always say someone at the executive level is going to ask that question. And so you need to be prepared to speak to that.
2: Fantastic advice. What are the sort of um, essential practices or strategic choices you'd recommend clients put in place to manage? And you mentioned this earlier in payroll, one of the things that's really important at the moment, managing risk and compliance.
0: Yeah, and that's a great question, Nick. So, you know, a couple of things that come to mind is, One is making sure that you have the right controls in place on all of your processes, primarily just from an operational perspective. And that's just making sure that, you know, the sign offs are happening um, accordingly, making sure, you know, there is an appropriate segregation of duties. So meaning that if I'm processing (coughs) apparel transaction, that I'm not going ahead and, and approving my own work. Um, that's very, very important. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, making sure that you have almost like, uh, and I hate to use this term, but it's kind of having that matrix of all of your roles within the organization and and really understanding the clear delineation of, okay, what does a global payroll do? uh, versus, you know, a payroll manager, or maybe it's one of my payroll specialists. It's almost like a racy kind of chart where you're saying, okay, here's what this role is responsible for. You know, here's what they're accountable for. Are they consulted? Are they, um, informed? Very, very, you know, important. Those are just a couple, I I think of the key things to really have in place from a risk and compliance perspective
2: yeah no they make they make perfect sense um no great great response so it makes sense for me to ask you a question that having such a, uh, a an expert uh, word I'm looking for an experienced consulting expert on the podcast it makes sense for me to ask you what are the considerations you think a company should consider or indeed ask to determine if there is a good fit with a prospective vendor
0: that's a really good question and I feel like there are you know, there's it's not easy you know as you are thinking about moving um, to a new vendor you know a couple things that come to my mind um, first and foremost you know is are there going to be capabilities that the vendor will be able to do to meet the business requirements you know of the organization from a payroll perspective um, because depending on you know the size the scope of there's complexity it's making sure that it's important. You know, I think it's also, um, you know, being asked, you know, being able to ask the right questions around what is, you know, the transition capability and approach that the vendor is going to take um, with with that organization. Right. As part of, uh, you know, that transformation. Um You know, looking at, you know, where does the vendor have physical presence in required markets and capabilities? So, you know, do they have local presence? Do they not? Um, uh, You know, uh, uh, technology is a big one, right? So being able to kind of see, you know, what do they have? You know, we talked a little bit about cloud-based solutions. You know, what are the mobile capability um, is very important um the big one obviously pricing because at the end of the day right it's you know is it an apples to apples comparison of one vendor versus the other um but the last one which i think is is truly truly important is is the vendor going to truly provide an overall and positive employee experience and customer satisfaction you know for for the organization, because I mean, truly at the end of the day, and I think, you know, Nick, you know, this and the folks, you know, on the podcast, you know, it's being able to pay people timely, accurately, um, compliantly, but just making sure at the same time that they're getting, you know, the level of, uh, you know, employee experience and customer satisfaction every day.
2: Yeah, love that. Love that. And actually, it, uh, it resonates with an article I posted earlier this week, you may have seen it talking about Sometimes be wary of the, um, the the invested slick sales teams that can, you know, that, that will push their wares. It's not to say that the solutions they're representing aren't brilliant solutions, but sometimes you can get slightly wooed by a very polished sales outfit that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to give you the best solution. Because whilst they might be really good at the sales end of the spectrum, it's the, it's the service behind the sale that you re- that's really important.
0: Well, Nick, that brings up a good point too. You know, when when um the vendors are meeting with clients, right? One of the questions that I always tell clients to ask is, you know, are the folks in the room for that presentation, are these the folks or is, is there a couple folks in the room? I mean, is this the team that I'm gonna be partnering with, you know, to deliver payroll services? And if there's hesitancy and, you know, to your point, the folks from the sales side, they always come and that's their role to do that. But, you know, it's being able to show the cultural fit of what that team is going to be is so important. And 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 we see this from a consultant perspective, even when we do pursuits with our clients, you know, the the work is important, right? And the price point is important, but for me, I, I always want clients to see who th- our true KPMG team is going to be that's going to be working shoulder to shoulder with you, regardless of what the engagement is. And are we the right fit for you and vice versa?
2: I love that. That's a great question. And I think for those listening, you know, if you are considering a vendor change or you're looking to move from a domestic to global payroll, you know, rewind this part of the podcast, get a pen and paper and take some really good notes. Some excellent uh, Excellent questions and advice given there by Jay, and it's going to be a little bit more. So keep your keep your pens at, get pens at the ready. If I asked you, Jay, to provide five steps to achieving global payroll success, what would they be?
0: Yep, yeah, no, that's a great question, Nick. So here's my my top five: global payroll strategy, compliance, a governance structure, the right people, and third is really promoting that employee experience.
2: Fantastic. So last question before we open the vault. What do you think are the most important qualities for effective leadership? And what is your personal leadership style?
0: Uh, it's interesting because this is a question that um, I get asked a lot. And I, and I truly feel um, that you know leadership is an area that it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes time, um, I think, within all of us to to work towards and achieve. And I think for for myself personally, and I think, um, you know, one of the original questions, you know, we didn't get to, but you had asked was, you know, what would your your workers and your team say about you? Um, I truly, uh, I think leaders and myself included is to be able to take a very much hands-on approach. Um, And it doesn't matter what the work is, Um, but being able to roll up your sleeves and work with your teams. Um, You know, I think it's also important to empower um, your teams to not only be the doers, but be, you know, be critical and and be decision makers. You know, that's how, you know, we learn. Um, Being able to promote an open door policy um, is so important. You know, folks should feel that they can come to you with concerns, um, you know, to talk freely, openly. And I also think it's important and I know it's, it's sometimes hard to do, but get to know folks, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we get so entrenched in the day to day work and, you know, you lose sight of, you know, we're all individuals, you know, we all go home at night. Um, You know, we have families, you know, we have pets, uh, you know, we have other things going on in our lives. And I think it's just taking the opportunity just to get to know folks um, is important. And and the last thing that I'll just say is being able to push folks um, to a point where you want folks to do the best that they can do, but being able to provide them the opportunities to grow within their careers. But also thinking about the future, you know, around, you know, what does that mean from the succession planning for everyone?
2: Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, a lot of those qualities you've mentioned resonate with the kind of qualities that I believe in as well. And you're certainly the kind of leader I think that I would enjoy working for. So I, I think your your views on it, on, on leadership are, are very similar and, and mirror many of the things that I believe in. So really enjoyed that answer. Thanks, Jay. So look, we're going to open the vaults.
1: Entering the vault.
2: Five quick fire questions. Uh, I'm really sad to be almost at the end of this podcast. You've given us so much great content, so thank you ever so much. But very quickly, one piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll or HR right now:
0: always be looking towards the future. You know, I, I find that sometimes um, a lot of folks in payroll these are uh, folks and are uh, it, it's a role that folks really truly gravitate towards, and they stay in those roles for a long amounts of times. Um, I would say be open to change. Payroll, I sometimes I feel like is just a stepping stone in your career. It can take you in so many different directions. Um, and so I would just say, you know, keep an open mind. And if you uh, are interested you know, in other roles in your organization, whether that, you know, potentially could be finance, whether it could be HR, um, your payroll experience and knowledge, um, you can bring that to any um, role that you choose to do in the future.
2: Fantastic. With the benefits of hindsight, what would be the one career decision you would change?
0: You know, that's, that's an interesting question. Probably personally, um, as I look you know back to where I started, um, I would have liked to have done more HR and payroll work, maybe a little bit earlier on in my career. Um, You know, coming out of university uh, with a finance degree, you know, you don't really kind of know directionally where you're going to go. And uh, so for someone that was kind of put in a tax type of role, and I did that for, you know, a few years, Years in the initial onset, um, probably something that I uh, would have done or thought about differently. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I have no regrets, and I think you know all paths have uh, led me to where I am today.
2: That's always good to hear. You have got regrets. That's not, that's the way we wanna we wanna move forward with. So that's good news. If you had the power of foresight and could change the entire global payroll or HR industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be?
0: Uh, you know, I would say honestly, Nick, and if this happens at some point, it'd be great, like a one-stop shop, uh, for global payroll, meaning that, you know, uh, you know, whether, you know, I think about kind of the external provider landscape that there is, you know, one truly global payroll solution, um, that could work for everyone, um, in, you know, multiple countries around the world.
2: Well, I know they're all striving to be the first. There are many out there that uh, that, that, that will want to be that first provider. So maybe we'll see that happen. Who motivates you and why?
0: You know, there, there's a couple people, you know. So, uh, you know, there have been managers that I have worked um, for in my previous, previously in other organizations in KPMG um, that I have looked um, at as leaders throughout my career, and um, so I'm, I'm motivated. Even though I don't necessarily work with those individuals on a daily basis, um, I still keep in contact um, with them. So I think you know they motivate me. One of the great things about KPMG, you know, outside of you know the work that we do with clients, is you know I'm a performance management leader, um, and so I have counselees that um, I have had for several years, and to work with them, uh, to mentor them, and to see them grow in their careers um, is truly, truly a rewarding experience for me. And the last, honestly, um, and just on a personal note, um, I owe a lot of um, you know, my success to my, uh, my wife and my kids. You know, they, uh, Being a consultant is not easy. You know, there's a, a lot of fluctuation, you know, a lot of change that happens um, in this type of role. But, uh, you know, they have truly been there to support me. And I'm very fortunate um, for that.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. It's great to hear that your family inspire you. And it's it's a common response. And uh, it's great to hear so many people in the Pearl Nature industry. So and um, so close to such family based people. I think everyone seems to be responding on on how much their families and their networks have supported them. So That's great. If you didn't work in payroll or HR, what would you be doing?
0: So actually, I uh, very early on in my career, back when I was in high school, I actually worked um, for Walmart uh, for uh, a little over 12 years. And I have always been fascinated with the retail industry um and so i've always said even potentially when i retire i say that loosely um i would probably go back and work in retail again
2: okay great i thought it may have been something with you know acting in reality tv being an ageless uh, <laughs> phenomenon i thought maybe uh, we'd see you in a future reality tv no, show
0: i i wish no no i think that, that <laughs> ship sailed years ago but uh but that's a great thought. Thank you, Nick, for thinking about me in that way. No, regard. it's my
2: pleasure. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today, Jay. Thank you ever so much for joining us. You've given us so much content, so many um, critical pieces of advice that I think the listeners can go away and and, and, and analyze and take notes about and and use in, in whatever um, process or change management um, consideration that they're going through at the moment. So thank you ever so much for, for giving us so much uh, intel that I think will really, really benefit our listeners. So it's been a f- fascinating, educational and very enjoyable podcast. And I thank you ever so much for joining me today. And um, I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile, just so for those listening, are interested to find out more about yourself or KPMG. I'll put a link into the KPMG website as well. And um, it just leads me to say thank you so much for joining us uh, and joining myself today on The Payroll Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I look forward to speaking to the listeners again in a couple of weeks.
0: Thank you, Jay. Great, thank you so much, Nick.
1: You've been listening to the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, Specialist Payroll Recruiters. If you would like to feature on a future podcast, please contact us. For a wealth of world-class payroll content, please visit us at jgarecruitment.com. See you next week.